You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Wanted to let you guys know of a great opportunity, just something that we're doing as a church in this season. Uh, we are writing letters to thank uh, those healthcare workers that have been on the front lines of this virus. And so we have a box right out front of our offices. It's a blue box, you can't miss it. And so if you're looking for a homeschool project this week and you're, you've run out of options, uh, you might wanna have your kids or someone else in your family just write letters thanking all the healthcare professionals. We have so many that work at Memorial and Candler and all over Savannah. And so we wanna thank them and all the others uh, for what they're doing. And so you can mail those in if you don't feel like driving uh, and mail them to the church or you can just drop them off in the box out front of the building and we're gonna get those to those workers uh, as they come in. So it's a great opportunity. Just one more opportunity to say thank you just to, to really be able to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice, to be thankful, even in a season of difficulty. So um, just wanted to let you guys know about that. Um, we're gonna be in Genesis 38 this week. Genesis chapter 38. Um, I read an article this week. It was uh, about Al Capone's niece. And uh, she told the story how when she was 17, she lost her job because she was Al Capone's niece. And so what she did is she changed her name so no one would, ever, would know any longer that she was from that family and associated with them. And, and as you read Genesis 38, if you've read ahead, that's really the story of this chapter. If this is your family in Genesis 38, you're changing your name to Smith, to Jones, to anything else. Um, because this chapter is straight up Maury Povich, you know, uh, you are the father. It, it, it's, it's like right out of that. It's one of those chapters that you read and you're like, why is this in the Bible? Why does the Holy Spirit inspire Moses to put this in here? Because what Moses does is he kind of lets all the skeletons out of the closet of this family. And so you're glad that you're not one of Jacob's sons living in this time because you never know what's gonna come up. Um, and, but it's, it's just awkward because Genesis 38 kind of sticks out. Genesis 37, we saw Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And in chapter 39, we'll see next week he picks up, is they pick up his story and right kind of sandwiched in between, he breaks the narrative and he puts this Maury Povich, Jerry Springer episode that you're like, what in the world? But God does it for a reason. He wants to instruct us, to warn us, to encourage us, to give us hope in the midst of a mess, which is what this chapter is. And so we're gonna just look through this chapter. Um, I think there's four big picture lessons that God has for them and for us. Remember, the, the original audience is the people of Israel wandering through the wilderness on the way to the promised land out of slavery. And so he puts this text here for a reason for them, but by way of application, us. And it, it's a little dicey. I'm gonna stay 50,000 feet. I'm gonna summarize some things because this is a family program, right? This is rated a G. Um, and so I'm gonna take a PG passage and make it G. Uh, but I, I think the big ideas are gonna be clear without getting into some of the, the nitty gritty of some of the things. So let's just jump in, chapter 38, verse one. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers, turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. And so we see Judah is the kind of the focus of this chapter. And Judah's a famous guy, famous name in the Bible. He's the fourth born son of Israel. Right? He's also, if you remember, the one who came up with the idea to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites who were gonna take him down to Egypt. So that was his idea. 
And the text says that he went down from his brothers. That is significant. He leaves the family, right? He leaves the clan for a season. He gets away from them. And then he, he kind of pals up with this guy named Hira, who was an Adulamite. And, and anytime we see this guy, Hira and Judah run together, is bad news, okay? Hira is like trouble with a capital T. He's the Eddie Haskell, for those old school Leave it to Beaver fans, of the, of the passage, Nothing good happens. So he goes down, he sees a Canaanite woman. He says, well, she's a pretty thing. And so he marries her. Already we have trouble. He's married outside the family. We've seen where that goes. Verse three, and she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. And yet again, she bore a son and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezib when she bore him. So she has three, he has three boys. And now it says he's living in this, in this town that is away from the family. He's not just hanging out now. He's actually living away from the family. And he has a family now, three kids. So Judah, and some time has passed, verse six. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. So we know it's been 15, 20 years in just one verse. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. We don't know what he did, but he was a bad dude, and God takes him out. So Judah's down to two descendants now, two boys. Verse eight, then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife, perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. There's something that's super strange to our culture, but in theirs was very normal, called Leverite marriage. If a brother died without an heir, the brother-in-law would marry his sister-in-law and they would have a child and the first child would technically be the dead brother's relative. So the name of that brother would kind of get carried on through the family. Very weird, very strange, but that's what they did in that culture. And so Onan is called to do that. And the summary is, he doesn't wanna do that. He'll take this woman as his wife, but he's not gonna raise up an heir for her because if he doesn't, he gets all his brother's stuff, which is to his advantage, and he, he doesn't wanna raise another person's child, right? So he's selfish, and because he is, God takes him out. What he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. He puts him to death too. So now Judah's down to one son, the youngest, and so, verse 11, and Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. He says, you just stay a widow for a little bit, and when Shelah gets old enough, he'll marry you. But really, he's thinking, this woman is a black widow. <laughs> She's probably, he doesn't see that the sons are the issue, he thinks that she is the issue. Verse 12, so some time goes by, and of course of time, the wife of Judah, she was daughter, died. And Judah was comforted. He went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira. Here's old Hira again. Anytime he's with Hira, bad stuff happens, right? So Tamar, verse 13, hears, your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep. This would be a festive time. It's a big party, big pagan celebration. The pagan temples are gonna be open. It's just gonna be ruckus, right? And she knows her father-in-law is going. And so verse 14, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown up and he had not been given to her in marriage. She says, he's gone back on his word. I'm never gonna get married. I'm never gonna have a kid. I'm gonna remain a widow. So she tries to take things into her own hands. So she goes down there, and in essence, she dresses up of a woman of the night. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you for he did not know it was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you said it. Oh, I got lost my slide, so I don't know what's up there. So you guys take that. He said, what pledge shall I give you? 
She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived. So they settle on a price, a goat. He says, I'll send you a goat. She says, how do I know? I'll give you a, a, a pledge. And his pledge was his signet cord. It's in essence in that day that same as given him his visa card. It's personalized, it's his, everyone knows it's his, and it's kind of his down payment. So transaction happens, and she, she goes back home as a widow to pretend she's a widow again, and he leaves, and everybody thinks everything is normal, but she is pregnant, right? And, and, and this is just the start of the Maury Povich show here, right? So why does God include this? And, and why is he letting his people, why is he opening the closet and letting the skeletons out of the closet, right? First thing, why this past year, what God is doing, is he's warning his people, his people wandering in the wilderness, his people that are about to go in the land of Canaan, what happens when they assimilate with the culture? What happens when they become like those people around him? Judah has become just like old Hira. He's married a Canaanite. He's going to the temples with the Canaanites. He's adopting their morality. And this is what happens when the people of God move away from community and from truth, right? This is what happens. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, verse two, famous verse, we quote it a lot, but it's so significant. And he gives a command, do not be conformed to this world. And the word, that, that, this is an imperative in the original Greek, but it's a unique imperative. Most commands in the Bible are in the active voice, like run over there, pick that up. Don't do that. That's the active voice. This command is actually in the passive voice, which means that you're on the receiving end of it. So it's don't allow yourself to be conformed. Still a command, but, but the object is, the outside is, is performing the action and you're to resist. And the word transform, you could put change. Or the idea is the world is trying to squeeze you. Remember Plato when you're a kid and you just squeeze it and just squeezes into the mold of your hands? That's what the world system is trying to do. And he says, don't let that happen. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the, the constant bombardment of this and that and this squeeze you. And, and if we're not going to be conformed, we need a couple things. Number one, we need community. We need we need community. Two of the, the two big mistakes that old Judah pulls off in this chapter, both of them, he gets away from community. He moves away from the family. He lives away from the family. He hangs out with his Canaanite buddy, and what happens? He ends up just like him. And this is, this is one of the challenging things about this, this coronavirus deal is that it, it keeps us at a distance sometimes. And I'm super thankful for technology. I'm super thankful for some of the creativity in some of our groups in the high school and middle school getting together on Zoom right, encouraging each other, meeting together, praying for each other, all those things, but we weren't created to social distance. There's no social distancing in the kingdom, right? We're not, that's not how we're wired. We need to be around each other, why? To encourage, to stir up each other, to love and good deeds. I need that, you need that, we all do, right? That's why we long to be back together, to just be with each other, to encourage. And what happens to Judah is he, he, he goes the opposite direction. He flees community. He does what the proverb says. He says, whoever walks with the wise become wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. He's got a companion of fools. Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts, ruins good morals. And we always apply that to our kids. Bad company corrupts good morals. This is not written to kids. It's written to us. Yeah, it, it, by way of application. This is, 
This is for us, right? And so the question is, who are the biggest influencers in your life? Who are the ones who you're rolling with the most, you're on the phone with the most? It's not, it's not that we hide from the world, we don't have non-Christian friends. Paul says, no, no, I didn't say that. But who are the ones that, you're, that, you're, that you're, are pointing you to goodness and towards righteousness and to Christ? And that's the idea. You need those people in your life. If you're gonna have an impact on those who don't, you have to have those who do, right? It, it has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. So he moves away community. We need community. And we also need to renew our minds with truth. We need to guard our minds. We need to constantly uh, just be reminded. You know, the, the scripture, there's not a lot of new in the scriptures. The scripture just reminds us of the same things over and over because we need to be reminded, right? Because we're inundated with junk and just stuff just bombarding us everywhere, whether it's social media or entertainment. And I am not anti-Netflix, and you know I'm not anti-movies. I'm not anti-music. I'm not saying don't listen to music. I'm, we're, we're not gonna be legalistic, but you have to guard those things which go in your mind. You have to guard what goes into your heart, right? And you have to be able to, to counter that with, with truth. Because if not, you're going to be conformed. It's not by accident that churches are moving away from what the Bible says about sexuality and about gender and about morality and about truth. Why? Because they're adopting a culture over here that's squeezing them into a mold rather than being renewed in their minds. They're being assimilated, right? And, and the, the application is this. Are you, feel, are you renewing your mind? Real simple. I mean, our, our name is Community and Bible. And this is kind of where we, we go. The simplicity of that model is that we wanna be in relationship with other spirit-filled people, those who have the Holy Spirit in them. And then we wanna be around the truth, that, that which God has inspired. And so there's so many creative ways. I mean, if you cannot enjoy outside today and go outside and just, just talk to God a little bit, maybe put a, an app on where you listen to some truth, to get your truth in your soul. There's plenty of blogs on the internet you can read. There's plenty of vlogs. There's so much access to truth. There's apps for every version of the Bible you want, right? Just to, to renew our mind. That's why he says, be transformed, right? And it's the same idea. It's a, it's a, a command, but it's a passive. It's, you're gonna be transformed by something else. What? So that you will know what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable and purpose, right? And that, that's what we need. Judah misses it. And I think this, this chapter is a reminder to Israel and us. This, this chapter informs the Israelites why they, had to get out of, why they had to get out of Canaan for a season. Because if they were in danger of being so absorbed into the Canaanite culture that they would lose their identity. And now they're wandering around the wilderness and they're back to go into the land. And God is just one more. This is what happens when you blend in and every trouble you see in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament comes when they start intermarrying, when they start adopting the gods of their cultures, when they stop being like those people around them, right? And that's, that's the pull. And so the encouragement for us, even as we're scattered, is, is to renew your mind with truth, right? It's a, it's a warning. God is reminding them, hey, I have called you, my church, my bride, to be distinct, to be set apart, to be salt, to be light, to preserve and to shine. And you can't do that when you're becoming like. We love our neighbor. We care for our neighbor, but we have to be distinct. We are the people 
of God. And that's the reminder here. Let's continue on. It gets a little bit uglier. When Judas sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, going to get the Visa card, he didn't find her. Uh Uh-oh. And when he asked the men of the place, where's the cult prostitute who was at Naim at the roadside? And they said, "Mm, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been there. And so Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this goat and you did not find her. See, they can't go to the cops because if they go to the cops, then everyone knows. And they can't go door to door looking because then everyone knows. It's sort of like, we wanna save face, just let her keep the card, I'll call and get a new one. That's the idea, right? No one will ever know, it's done. But three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant. And he's like, but she's engaged to my son, right? She's committed adultery. And so Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. What a nice guy, right? Let's, let's kill her for, her for her immorality. But old girl is cooler than the other side of the pillow, right? And as she is being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, Here's the daddy. I, have the, I know who the daddy is. By the man whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are. Whose visa card is this? And the signet and the cord and the staff. And Judah is outed. And he identified them and says, she is more righteous than me. It's a statement of faith. He owns it. She's righteous. I'm not. She was doing what she had to survive. Not right, but she was at least doing what she was. I was keeping her from, from fulfilling what she's called to do. And he did not know her again. The, the verse in Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out, rings a little bit familiar here. Uh, and here's the second idea I think God is trying to get across to his people, is that God refines those who are his. God purifies his people. The good news is that, that God will never let his own go. Never. The bad news is that God will never let his own go. <laughs> Judah is a broken dude, but he is God's broken dude, right? And God is not gonna let him go and he's not gonna let him successfully sin. He's going to mold him and refine him. Why? Because he has a plan for this guy. Because he who began a good work in him will complete it in the day of Christ. Because whom God chooses, he justifies, he purifies, Right? And just as God did with Jacob, when Jacob, all his stuff came back, right? He's saying, you wanna lie to, about, lie to your daddy about old Joseph? Your family's gonna lie to you. You wanna do all these things in secret and, and do all these things hidden? I'm gonna bring it out in the open. Why? Because God has plans for him. Just like he has plans for us. For us. And, and this, this text just reminds us, hey, we may sin in secret, but it's never secret. Because what we sow in secret eventually grows in public. This is why God says, don't hide. Confess. Shine light on it. Bring it out. Confess. Because if you confess your sins, I am faithful. I am just. I will forgive. I will cleanse. Right? It's just a reminder of that. Here's another reminder. And this is what really gets my goat about Judah. It's not necessarily his sin. It's his hypocrisy. I mean, he wants to burn old girl for lying and for being immoral which are the exact same things that he has done. And I think what we see in the church, especially in the South, is we respond super harsh to sinners often. 
And I think a lot of times it's because we are covering up our own sin, maybe in the same areas. And I'm not saying we don't deal with sin. I'm not saying we don't call people to repent of sin. But Jesus's words ring just in my ears when he says to those who want to kill the woman caught in adultery, you who are without sin cast the first stone. Right? Before you go talk about your brother's speck that's in his eye, take, take the tree out of your own. It's not that you don't deal with sin. It's just make sure you're self-evaluating here. Right? Judah, make sure you're self-evaluating before you want to burn, have a little barbecue in the back. Right? And, and remember, the goal of this whole thing, anyway, is restoration. I, what is sad to me is this, is that we see people fall, break, go through a tough season, and the first people to abandon them are Christians. The first people to talk about them and to sneer at them and to look down their nose and to leave them are the Christians. And you know who doesn't abandon them? is non-Christians. Those who are not under grace, right? And so, just an encouragement. Look, if you see someone who's fallen, don't leave them. Pursue them. Pray for them. Love them. That's what God does. God loves Judah enough that he's gonna pull all the skeletons out of the closet, even as painful as that's gonna be and embarrassing, because he wants to purify him. Same thing he did with Abraham. It's the same thing he did with Isaac. It's the same thing he did with Jacob. It's the thing he's doing with the original audience who are wandering around. They're being purified. Why are they being wandering around? Because they didn't believe God was big enough to take them into the land. And so he's reminding them. He's purifying them. Can God's people wander? Genesis 38 is a testament to the fact that they can. But in the end, God will purify his people. He will perfect those who he royally elects. And thank God that he does. This is a reminder. So God's warning his people about assimilation. He's, talk, he's reminding them he refines his people. Text continues, verse 27. When the time came of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, just like old Jacob and Esau. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread in his hand saying, this one came out first. He's the firstborn. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. Right, He kind of passes him on the outside. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez, which means what a breach, the one who breaks through. He's technically the second born, but he's on a rush. And then afterwards, his brother came out with a scholar thinness, and his name was Zerah, which is Aramaic for scarlet. He's technically the firstborn, but Perez is in a rush. He said, this is a very interesting passage, right? That's a... TMI, too much information. But what God is doing is giving his people an object lesson. He is reminding Judah, right, uh, of the prophecy that the member for Jacob and Esau, the older would serve the younger. And as much as Judah and his, I mean, Judah and his brothers didn't want that to take place in their own family, that the 11th born Joseph, would, they would bow down to him and he would be in charge. As much as they tried to stop that and thwart that, they they're not gonna be able to. As much as Esau wanted to, he wasn't gonna be able to. And God is reminding them, is my, you cannot stop my program. The younger is going to break through, right? He's gonna Perez because that is who I've chosen. That is my will. And this is just a, a big picture reminder to the people of God that God is a sovereign God, that he is sovereign, that he chooses who he's gonna choose. He chooses Abraham. Why Abraham. Abraham has a brother named Nahor. Why didn't he choose Nahor? 
God is sovereign, right? He chooses Isaac and not Ishmael. Why? The younger. He chooses Jacob, not Esau. He chooses Joseph to save the 12 brothers. He chooses uh, Judah to be the line of the Messiah because he's sovereign, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a reminder of the, the, that as one theologian said, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled, right? He is completely sovereign. And because he is, he can take a jacked up situation and he can bring good. Because you know who Perez is? The one who breaks through? Perez is the great, 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 great grandfather of a man named David, who is king. Who is also the great, 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 great grandfather of a man named Jesus, who is Messiah. Right? And he's going to use Judah, and he's going to use Perez, and he's going to use this. Even Joseph, down in Egypt, as we'll see, what his brothers meant for good, I mean, meant for evil, he is going to bring good. See, that's what a sovereign God does. This COVID virus did not take God by surprise. I think it's interesting that we started this series in January talking about meant for good. And we, it's, meant for good is, is easy when everything is good. But when everything is chaos, we forget meant for good. But if God is, is sovereign over the goodness, then he's sovereign over the chaos. If he's sovereign over health, he's sovereign over COVID, right? And, and God is doing a work, and I don't think we can see it, but he is doing a work in this. You know how I know? Because he's sovereign. Because God works all things together for good for those who love him. As challenging as the time is, God is moving. As, as, as hard as it is to lose graduations and proms and jobs and finances, God is good. God is sovereign. He's doing something. I don't know what, and I don't need to, but I can come back to this. I know that Judah can't stop him. I can't stop him. That God is working all things. And it is an encouraging thing to be in the safe arms of a sovereign God. And that's where we're at. So he's warning his people of assimilating. He's refining them. He is reminding of his sovereignty. And then the last thing is this, is that he is showing his graciousness. He's showing that he is a God of grace. He is going to redeem this Maury Povich, you are the father mess, and turn it into glory, right? And if, you don't have to turn there because it takes too long, but if you turn your Bible several hundred verses, pages to the right, you're gonna find Matthew chapter one. And Matthew chapter one opens with the genealogy of the Messiah, and it reads briefly something like this. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And it goes on and on and on. And what is significant is that their names are there. Al Capone's niece doesn't wanna be a Capone. She wants to get herself away from that family. Jesus is not ashamed of his family. In fact, he puts, he, he puts their names here. It's unique in the genealogy of Matthew. He actually mentions several ladies, which is unusual for a genealogy. And he says, I'm not ashamed of Tamar. Put Tamar in there. Put Tamar, the Canaanite, in my genealogy. And you go a few verses down after this one, and you see a woman named Rahab. 
right, who was a harlot of Jericho. He puts her name in there. You go a few verses down after that, you find Bathsheba, who was an adulteress. And Jesus specifically, he doesn't have to put the wives' names in, but he specifically puts, because he wants us to know he is not ashamed, the writer to Hebrews say, to call us his brother and sister. In fact, one of his nicknames in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, is that he is the lion of what? Judah. He's not ashamed of Judah, right? He's not ashamed of his brothers and his sisters. That's grace. That's grace, right? Because when we are in Christ, whatever we have done, it doesn't matter because we have the righteousness of Christ. So when God the Father looks down, he doesn't see Bill Fowler, sinful, separated. He sees Christ. Just like when he saw his son on the cross, he saw all my sin and all your sin, right? He see, so he can, he can call us brothers. He can call us sister. We are his family. That is grace. And grace teaches Grace encourages, grace trains. In fact, the writer Paul to Titus says that, that grace uh, appeared training us to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled and godly. And that's what happens to Judah. Judah, after experiencing this situation, he's purified and he, he's, he's a changed man. Next time you see Judah, guess where he is? He's back with the family. He moves back home. Get away from Hira. Staying away from Hira. And then even after that, after he lives at home, he, he does something that is so not Judah. We'll see in a couple chapters when the brothers go down uh, to Egypt and they bring Benjamin down and, and Jacob did not want them to bring Benjamin down because that's his now favorite child. His child of his, his last born, his child of his old age. Judah says to Joseph, he doesn't know it's Joseph, he says, do not, do not take my, my brother Benjamin, take me instead. He says, take, I'll take his place. I will be his substitute. Let him go home and I will stay here. This is the one who sold Joseph before. Now he is saying, let me be his substitute. He's going to lay down his life for his brother, just like one of his descendants would one day come and lay down his life for his brothers. He is a changed man. Why? Because God has purified him. Because he's experienced grace. God has him and praise God for his grace. Some skeletons let out of the closet, right? But God is doing something in his people and he's trying to teach us about how he doesn't want us to assimilate, that he wants us to be distinct. He wants us to stay in community, to renew our minds with truth. He wants us to be reminded of his sovereignty, of his grace, right? That he uh, purifies those who are his. And if, if you're watching this today, and, and maybe you're a Judah, you've been running, you've been hiding, right? You've got some secret deal going on. Encouragement to you is spring it into the light. Stop hiding. Be, be willing to confess and repent and turn, and you will find a gracious savior who has paid the penalty of that sin and will, like the father and the prodigal son, run to you and embrace you in his arms. He'll put a ring on you, he'll put a robe on you, and he'll kill the fattened calf. That is the, the heart of our God. But if you're Judah this morning, don't continue to hide. And if you're a Tamar, you got a shady past, right? You, you, you have uh, manipulated and you've tried to get your own way uh, and you feel guilt and shame, 
this woman is in the line of the Messiah. Why? Because she is linked now to the bridegroom, the true bridegroom. And you can be too. And whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. That, that if you lay that at the foot of the cross, that can be redeemed. And God can use you just like he does Tamar. That's the encouragement of this passage. That's an encouragement to us as a church. Let me pray. And we'll just sing one song and then we'll go and be the church and I encourage you this day, get outside today. Don't sit inside. There ain't no sports on anyway. That's, I hate that there's not, but there's no sports. So get outside, enjoy what God is doing. Go meet some folks, be with your family. Um, I wanna encourage you to, to be the church in this season when we're, we're separate. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would uh, just bring the Judas to yourself, the Tamars to yourself. If we've been the one who have abandoned a friend, that we would go back and pursue just like you pursue, that, that we as a church would be distinct, that all the people of God would be distinct, that we would trust in a sovereign God, we would trust in a God who is gracious, one who purifies us as you yourself are pure, um, that you are building your church, that you are uh, creating uh, your people to be like you, and one day you will complete what you began. We're thankful for that. We trust you, we love you uh, in this season, and I thank you for grace. Uh, your riches at Christ's expense. Uh, we don't deserve it, but that's why it's grace. And so let us enjoy that and celebrate that today. It's in Christ's name I pray.